Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. You're listening to Out of Oz, a podcast from Building 28 Church. Welcome back to Out of Oz, a Building 28 Church podcast where we discuss the fantasies and fallacies of modern day Christian culture with compassion, conviction, and courage. My name's Danny, and as always, we have Pastor Aaron joining us. And I have a couple of special friends yes. here on the show so special. today. So <laughs> special. You guys know if you come to Building 28 or you watch us online Thursdays or Sundays, our fantastic, fabulous, incredible, remarkable worship leader, Miss Riley DeMars Yay. is here with me on the pod today for her second one ever. Second you saw pod. her at Christmas and Ooh. she loved being on the pod that day. I was a little nervy. Yeah, yeah. It was a little nervous. <laughs> uh, we also have literally my newest friend, Miss Christy Kokenauer. Yeah, you got it right. I pronounced it right. Uh, Christy's a member here at Building 28, has been with us for a while now, about a year, just a little, little bit over a year. Yeah. And we, the three of us, and 30 others just got back from the Holy Land like 48 hours ago. Yep. And a lot of people have been asking me, a lot of people in the church, understandably, have been asking me, a lot of people on social media, through email, whatever, have been saying, what was it like? Give us a recap. Like, tell me what it was like. Tell me what you felt. Tell me what's your favorite. Tell me what you didn't like. And so we thought, hey, what better format to kind of answer a lot of those questions and let our church and anybody else who's interested know what it was like. But also it brought up a really pressing question kind of to the fore that I hadn't thought about until we went on the trip. And then as we're on the trip, the question kind of built within me a lot. And I've received it from a couple of people as we got back. And so here basically is the crux of the issue. Throughout the centuries, Christians from all over the world have made the pilgrimage to Israel to experience the land where Jesus God in flesh lived on earth. It has been called an indescribable experience to see the locations for so many landmarks of our faith, such as the waters where Jesus walked, the synagogue where he taught, the tomb in which he was laid. And we just, as I said, returned from a 12-day journey in Israel. And we're going to share some of our thoughts, but really we're going to attempt to ask the question from our own experience, just the Bible doesn't speak on it. So let's, yeah. let's be real. Uh, it doesn't say you must visit the Holy Land. It's not like the Muslim faith where they have to visit Mecca or they're supposed to visit Mecca. So it's different for us, but we want to answer the question, should, do we think, do we believe that Christians should at some point in their lives visit the Holy Land? Not just can you do it, but really should you do it? And so helping me out with that today is my incredible worship leader and my newest friend, and we're just going to share some. And I, my plan is, you might be listening to this online. My plan is to insert some photos from the trip into the YouTube video to give you guys a better understanding of what we experienced and kind of moments on the trip that were significant to us and have brought us to a position on whether you should or should not go. So cool. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So the first question just to start off, I'm curious what your expectations were for the trip. And then we'll get into what it was actually like. But for those of us who have not been, I think there are like the expectations of it being life-changing and indescribable. What were your expectations going into it? I think Riley should talk first. I, I think she's I ready will to, talk to break first. the ice. To break the Here ice. we go. Breaking the <laughs> ice. Um, I was so nervous that I don't even think I had these like crazy expectations. Sorry, Alan, but I barely opened our itinerary. Alan was our group leader. Yes. 
No, I'm just apologizing to Alan. Um, but I barely opened our itinerary before we left because I was so nervous to go that I didn't even want to open the itinerary. So I actually really had no idea what we were going to do. So I didn't have expectations on like the things we were going to do, but I did expect the Holy Land to be like this changing like crazy experience filled with like emotions and like maybe I'd be like on fire for God more than I already was. That's pretty much where I was. Yeah, I also did not look at the itinerary a ton. But yeah, I had heard people say (laughs) (laughs) I'd heard people say that when you go to Israel, even for the first time that you feel at home um, and obviously these crazy spiritual experiences, I expected scripture to come to life and it really to anchor these biblical stories that I've heard since growing up. Because sometimes, especially learning at such a young age, it's kind of like, oh, this happened in some far, far away land. Um, So I was excited to actually be there and experience it. One of my expectations was I thought we would get to each site and there would be like a 10 minute biblical teaching of like, here's what stories happened here. And then we would have time to like kind of go off and reflect, which spoil it spoiler alert did not happen but i mean every tour is different in that in that respect and so toward the end of the trip i just had to so i took a back seat on the trip literally literally Um, but just kind of a back seat on like i didn't want to interject onto the tour guide or anybody else and so there was a lot of history and like i said every tour is different but for me i think i went in just with a really open mind and that's honestly how i'd recommend people going and whether you're looking at the itinerary or not it's just go in with an open mind kind of an open soul to say um, what am I going to learn here? What is it going to be like? Not with these radical expectations if I have to feel something and I have to be moved and I have to, I think those will come. And for us particularly, I think they came because we do music. And so we were able to do music in locations, kind of what Christy said. I think if there maybe had been more of like, on our trip specifically, more of like an unpacking of scripture or meditation on the Psalms. And the trip was amazing, but I think that that could have evoked more of that. And so I would say, if you're going on a trip, don't, maybe we should have done this. Don't depend so much on your tour guide like kind of prepare yourself for the different places you're going to encounter in Galilee. And, but, but I think for me, like the trip exceeded my expectations. Like it really did. I, I felt things I didn't think I was going to feel. And some of the locations were absolutely stunning and to walk where Jesus walked, like literally to walk into the synagogue there in Capernaum where he taught and to stand where he stood. There is, if you, if you truly believe the Christian faith and message and the gospel that Christ came to fulfill, there is something very moving about that where you're just like, dang, like the son of man was here in flesh. The creator was here or to be out on the Sea of Galilee or obviously to be in one of the locations where he was crucified and rose. There were some moving times like that that I, I didn't know if I would experience. I didn't know. And quite honestly, I can't speak to if I would have experienced them had I not had a had music in my brain and in my heart and and Riley with me to sing and like so many so many people in our group were like hey sing like let's can we sing here can we can you play guitar here can you and that I think took it from being informational to being transformational for a lot of people where it was like we had all this information and now we're feeling that information um mm-hmm. and so I guess I guess the big takeaway would be don't depend on the, the group leader or the tour yeah, guide to sure. mm-hmm. like like your soul needs to be ready to like mm-hmm. as you go and you see where Jesus walked and explored and and those the, i think those were the most moving times for us it's just kind of the spontaneous moments where we weren't being instructed in something it was just like you're the lord speaking to us and all of my moments were away from the group not like away away just whenever we weren't walking following the tour guide i 
was listening to music or we were sitting there meditating. And those were like the only times that I really got like crazy emotional. But I was still taking it in, even like if you're not super emotional, like it doesn't mean you're not feeling it. But like at Capernaum, I decided to take my uh, headphones out and walk away. And I remember walking over to the stairs and only when I sat down and looked out at the horizon and was like, this is the horizon that my God looked at. Mm -hmm. Like Jesus looked at this horizon, looked at these waters. Like that's when I really sunk in for me. So I do think it's important not to like lean completely on the tour guide to like bring you to those emotions. And like, our tour guide did away. great at like explaining like what went on at Capernaum and Dude, where Peter so Tosh was. Knowledge. So much yeah. information. So much knowledge. So much information. But I, think, information. I think if you're looking to learn, that's great. You're gonna go with the tour guide and and that's awesome. And you should do that. But if you're looking to experience something more deeply, mm-hmm. that's going to be like kind of your connection to the Lord. Um, I will say the land itself didn't do a whole lot for me as far as like that, you know, even though there were moments where it was like, hey, this is where Jesus walked and this was awesome. And when we were up on Mount Arbel, which if you ever go, go up, it's the highest point in Galilee and you're looking out over the sea and you can see kind of all the locations around the sea where Jesus did his ministry. And that was really, that kind of captured me. It was, it was a Sunday morning and we sat out there with guitar and we sang King Forevermore, Mighty God, Immortal Flesh. And that judge position of this mighty God in mortal flesh, the God who created all this now walked here among mm-hmm. it. And so moments like that were really, really powerful and cool. But I think it was just, it wasn't the land itself. It was just a constant reminder of why would the creator enter the creation, you know? And so that morning on Mount Arbel, our tour guide was like, do you have a sermon prepared after we sing songs? <laughs> and I was like, nope. And, but my mind just went to Psalm 8. And so like four, it was like the shortest sermon ever. It was like two and a half minutes. I just talked about that when I consider the heavens and the work of your hands and the Galilee from the mountaintop that you have ordained, what is man that you would even think of us? Like, mm. why would you even consider us? And that's what's so unique about the truth of the Christian religion is we have the only creator God who sees the predicament of suffering in the world And instead of dealing with it in some theoretical, theological way that is abstract, he enters into the fracture and walks among us and is a man of sorrows and is the son of suffering. And so then to sing these songs and and repeat those lyrical poems of, you know, and read the Psalms brought it home in a way that was phenomenal. It was it was pretty it was pretty compelling in that way. Yeah, all of my favorite moments were moments that we took time to reflect whether that was individually or a lot of those moments were when you guys were singing. So super thankful that you brought your guitar and that you came on the trip. And, and like I said, um, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to this, I know most of our, our, our listeners, not viewers, but if you want to check it out on YouTube, my plan is to have some of the pictures from the synagogue of Capernaum as we're talking about that. The pictures from Mount Arbo as you're looking out over the Sea of Galilee. It'll give you guys a framework for what you would experience. Galilee was blew my mind. Like, it just blew my mind. I, I don't know. I guess I was so expecting wilderness and amazing. desert and kind of barren and the dusty stones of Jerusalem. And it wasn't. It was like, um, I've compared it to like Blue Ridge, Virginia, like where you're just like, it's mountainous and hilly and and lush and green and just absolutely beautiful. And the weather was fair. And so going up there and the crowd, there wasn't crowds. Like in Jerusalem, there was so many crowds. And in Galilee, there just wasn't. And so, you know, to sit out on the side of the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus literally walked and where he calmed the storm and where he you know, cast out the demons out of the demoniac and all this, like, I remember the first night we're sitting out there, Sea of Galilee is not that big. It's like seven miles wide and 11 miles long. So it's not that big. And, but I'm like, we don't know, like right here where our hotel is might be where he 
you know, taught wow. or where he broke away to pray to his father. And so things like that, just kind of taking the moments to to consider were were really, really powerful. So we began our Holy Land tour up in, in Galilee and we were there for four or five days and it was phenomenal kind of seeing um, where Jesus grew up and where he started his ministry and where he did so much of his ministry. But yeah, there were definitely moments that were uh, informational, a lot of information, but moments that were very moving as well. Yeah. You guys have shared it with me, but is there anything that you experienced in Israel that surprised you? Good or bad? A lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> I think one thing that really surprised me was the amount of different, very strong religions that were in very tight quarters. Like, it was mostly in Jerusalem. I didn't expect to see, like, um, in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, how many different... There's six different... Yeah. If you're listening, you're like, I'm not unfamiliar with this. There are two historical sites that archaeologists have explored extensively that point to that this is most likely where Jesus was crucified, buried, and risen. One is the garden tomb. Uh, both of these are, they meet all the biblical requirements. They're just outside the old city, garden tombs to the north. Um, Holy Sepulchre is to the west of the old city. Both had a garden overlaid there. Holy Sepulchre was a rock quarry that had been obviously quarried and then made into a garden and tombs have been carved into the rocks there. And then Holy the garden tomb to the north um, was a garden as well. Both of them have a Golgotha site, place of the skull where they could have been crucified. Um, and so Holy Sepulchre is now a church that is built up, a huge cathedral that is built up over where this garden would have been 2,000 years ago. And it is, I, I guess, owned, um, shared by six different sects of Christianity. And that's a very loose word. So you have the Coptics and you have the Armenians and you have the Roman Catholics and you have the Orthodox and you have these different ones. And each one of them, there's like multiple tombs within the Holy Sepulchre and each one of them have claimed that their tomb is the, the tomb. Yeah. And so it was a very weird, it was a very bewildering, and very confusing experience. But as Riley talks about Holy Sepulchre, that gives you a framework and maybe we'll have some pictures as well of that, of what that was like. But anyway, that's the end of the parentheses. Now you can go back to the Holy Sepulchre. Oh no, I was just talking about, I just didn't expect to see yeah. that many, especially even like, all of the different Jewish religions. And there was like, I didn't know that there was some, there's so many different parts. Like some of them believe that the Messiah was this other guy and there's like his picture plastered all over these billboards. And then some of them don't even believe this Messiah has come at all. And then some of them do believe in Jesus. And it's like, then you have all of the people who believe in like the Muslim religion. And it's like, they're all in such close quarters that I, I didn't expect that. But it was only in Jerusalem. It wasn't in Galilee or any of the other places because there was just nobody in the other places, just mountains. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised at how quickly the terrain changed, oh, like going so from quick. Sea of Galilee yeah. where everything was super lush to very quickly you're in the desert. And obviously it's a very small country, but I was still surprised to see how close together different things were. And then whether it was at the Holy Sepulchre or at the Garden Tomb, the possible locations for Golgotha and the tomb were so close together. Mm -hmm. um, so that surprised me. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm going to take it a little more theological with this. I think the surprises for me, and it shouldn't have been, I just hadn't really stopped to think about it, was kind of what Riley was saying of just the radical, in-your-face idolatry from the Christian community. Yes, Islam is very strong there, and Judaism is very strong there. You know, that was so disheartening and almost... I wouldn't say almost, it was vexing. Like I was irritated. Um, the day, the first day in Jerusalem, we went to the Wailing Wall. And so, like I said, we'll throw up some pictures here of the Wailing Wall. And you've probably seen it, you've heard about it. It's all these crevices in the wall. It's the most holy site 
in Judaism now today. Of course, the Muslims, the Palestinians, they control the temple, like the actual Temple Mount and the Dome of the Rock is there. But on the outside of the Temple Mount, right outside of it is the Wailing Wall. And so we get to the Wailing Wall. And of course, I've I've been schlepping my guitar from place to place. That's Hebrew, Danny, for caring. And um, it's on my back. And the guard with his machine gun is like, you're not getting in. Like, you're just not coming in here. So I was already irritated because we couldn't go in and there was no music allowed the wailing wall which seemed very counter to what should be happening at the wailing wall at this holy site and so finally our tour guide after like 15 minutes got me in they're like you cannot play your guitar and so i started to make my way down to the wailing wall and about halfway down i was stopped by a lady who's like no 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 this is the lady's side this is the lady's side you gotta go back to the guy's side and so the ladies had like this tiny little side of the wailing wall and the men had this huge side and we found out that it's because it's an incredibly patriarchal society even to this day, which is, you know, a blight against all religions, but particularly it still exists in Christianity. Um, but this is mostly Judaism there at the Wailing Wall. And the, the men, literally, they they have no problem saying that women shouldn't even come to the Wailing Wall at all. Like that they have no right to be there, that this is a man's religion, it's a man's faith. Like, it, and it was just like, it was so startling to me. And then you see all these little kids being paraded up to the Wailing Wall, adhering to Judaism and believing the lie. I mean, you started to feel like the anger that, that you know, you, you read about with Luther when it comes to Judaism, where you're just like, this is such a lie, it's such a brazen lie. And these people are being deceived and the Muslims are being deceived. And even a lot of Christians are being deceived. And, and so most of our group had this really profound moving experience at the Wailing Wall, because you can write your request before the Lord on a piece of paper and you can insert it into the wall. And almost everybody I talked to had this moment where they were like, but mine was different because it reminded me of when Paul was in Athens and his heart was provoked in Acts 17 when he looked at Athens and saw all the idols among them. And that surprised me. It, pro it surprised me of how much provocation it elicited from me. And then, of course, that same day is when we went to the Holy Sepulchre. And while you're being paraded in there, you see all this idolatry and people kissing stones and relics and bowing down and worshiping like, like idols. We just found a corner and started like softly singing songs and then and then we moved to a bench in the sanctuary the sanctuary place and we were literally driven out by the religious like these different sects in the holy sepulcher this place most likely where jesus actually was buried and, and rose we were driven out by the religious and so i was super irritated that day but then i was like you know what the religious have been doing this to the true worshipers of christ for two thousand years and so I, I don't know why but that i think the feelings that it evoked from me like really surprised me of how many people are deceived and here is the holiest city in the world and yet there was this unholiness everywhere but in the name of religion mm. like it was really anyway because of that i was surprised at how uncomfortable i felt in jerusalem yeah. and oh, yeah. the crowds and all of that for our agenda jerusalem was at the end of the trip and so i think we were all looking forward to it based on expectations and what people have said but because of all of that i wouldn't say it was a letdown it was just very surprising so to see all of that and we we all had moments for sure in jerusalem especially being at the places that jesus actually walked at but Gethsemane was awesome. I yeah. Mean, and that kind of brings to the next question about location-wise. But Gethsemane was awesome. But once again, the Catholics and Orthodox had built a huge cathedral in Gethsemane. And so it didn't – we're talking 2,000 years. Like most of the sites we walked, they said it would have been between 30 and 80 feet below the surface is where Jesus would walk. This has been covered up um, over the years. But, I mean, you're there in Gethsemane where Jesus sweats drops of blood and where he cries to the Father – if it's possible, may I not drink the cup of your wrath? So in those moments, and if you go, 
and we're getting to the whether you whether or not you should go but if you go like definitely try to be on tour at times but definitely at the same time be like so i would just i popped out my earpiece from the tour guide and closed my eyes and thought through what it would have been like the night before his crucifixion for him to be here in gethsemane or for him to be up on the mount of olives and giving his teaching and then to descend the Mount of Olives on the back of a donkey and into Jerusalem and up the Temple Mountain. You can kind of see all that. Like as you look at the pictures or you're seeing the pictures on YouTube, you like you can you can see like what it would have been like for him to descend the Mount of Olives and to go into Jerusalem, go up the other side of the Kidron Valley. And one, one of the coolest things, and we've all talked about this, is it brings the Bible to life. It makes the Bible 3D. So that's a huge reason to go is I will never be able to read about Jesus' works in Galilee and Capernaum and on the Mount of Olives ever again without seeing that like wow this is like and it makes it it makes it less theoretical and much more like humane yeah same for the Old Testament also I mean already it's so cool to read about you know the Dead Sea and the Mediterranean and Sea of Galilee even though they're not called that in the Old Testament like you know from Genesis to Revelation it'll definitely change the way I read the Bible and it already has if I could piggyback off of what you said earlier about what surprised you about all the other religions. One thing I completely didn't expect, and it was probably one of my biggest takeaways, was how much sorrow I felt from seeing these people literally walking the streets that Jesus would have walked. And they're still binding their burdens, still all of them have like the tassels and they all are like wearing all of um, the stuff they have to wear and all doing all this stuff. And I'm looking at these little boys who are like, parading up to the wailing wall and it took everything in me to not just be like you don't have to do this anymore like jesus did it it's finished like it was just just really weird like i was so joyous to like be there but at the same time it was so like sorrowful to me at least because i thought the saddest thing to me would be somebody who just completely would be like god isn't real but it was actually more hard for me to look at somebody who is believing in like a false God and is just following all of these people around and just believing the stuff that you just don't have to do anymore. And that was one thing that was really hard for me. Mm-hmm. That surprised me. I didn't think that there would be any sorrow with that, but especially like the Catholics churches, like walking into these churches and they're so ornate and people are kissing rocks and like, you know, it's just hard because you want to be like, you don't need the big fancy church to worship Jesus. Like we are the church. Like you could sit on a mountain and worship Jesus and that's all you need. Yeah, you don't need the prayer shawls and the tassels yeah. and the phylacteries and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like we're kind of fixated on the heaviness uh, and that was true, that was there. There were so many radical moments though too. And, yeah. and like Christy said, like when you, even in the Old Testament, like you go to the place where David hid from Saul and Ian Getty and you see it's out in the middle of the desert the wilderness right and then there's this wadi which is like a ravine and there's streams flowing through it and the vibrancy of life there and you so you start to feel you know psalm 40 where he's like as the deer pants for streams of water so my soul longs field water psalm 42 whichever one it is and you're like oh i get that now because the deer here in the wilderness and there was literally these deer um running around and all the there was no animal life as you drove through the desert wilderness there was no animal life to speak of and then you would come to like these wadis and that's where all the animals would congregate because that's where life was. And that was, and so being there and being kind of moved a little bit by 
having thought through the Psalms and having thought through where David is, Psalm 61, where he says he's running from Absalom at that point, his son. And he says, from the ends of the earth, I cry to you. And you like feel like you're at the ends of the earth. Like you feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock of Cyrus and I. And I have no idea what David was envisioning. Now we're talking 3,000 years ago. But literally there, David's waterfall, there's this magnificent waterfall coming down. And we'll throw a picture of this up as well. And at the very top, there's like this rock hovering above the precipice, like on the very top of the cliff. And so like, I'm like, you know, it's probably not what David saw. 3,000 years, you're going to change the topography. But I'm like, he saw something like that. And like, he's using these metaphors and imagery. We also went to where Abraham settled. We went to where the gate is 4,000 years old, where in Ep and Tel Dan, where, where Abraham pursued the kidnappers of Lot through that. And so now, as you know, if you get a chance to go, as you're reading from, we're talking Genesis now, all the way to Revelation, because we went and look, no secret, if you've watched our podcast, I'm a partial preterist. And so I believe that most of the book of Revelation was fulfilled between 67 and 73 AD. And so we went to Masada, which was a phenomenal experience, except for Riley, who was too tired and stayed back in the, her hotel room. My bed day. was pretty awesome, too. Um, <laughs> but we, the rest of us went and we hiked up 1,500 feet above the Dead Sea to where a thousand Jewish refugees fleeing from Jerusalem in 70 AD at the destruction of the temple went to Masada. It was this fortress palace that Herod had built and they lived there until the Romans literally came and built a ramp up to them. All thousand of them ended up committing mass suicide so they wouldn't go into slavery. And the whole, the whole motif there is better to die free than to live as a slave. But to see that and to see from my apocalyptic understanding, like revelation fulfilled, you literally get this picture of Genesis through the prophets, you know, in Jerusalem. I mean, like so many places are like, this is where Malachi spoke and this is where Isaiah would have written. And this is where Isaiah was kept in prison. And like, so you're seeing this and the gospel accounts and then the book of Acts, which happens so much the first few chapters there in Jerusalem, all the way through to now Revelation. It just really is eye-opening in that way of moving. So yes, there was heaviness and there was toughness on the trip with the idolatry and with the false religion. But then there was so much like beauty in seeing it kind of unfold before your eyes biblically. So yeah. So what location would you say was the most impactful for you guys? For me, the garden tomb was the most impactful and it's likely that's not where it actually happened. But contrasting that with the day before when we were at the Holy Sepulcher, we had that moment to reflect and we had you know a full service and worship and just being in the garden tomb with you guys envisioning you know that's what our entire faith is based around um so that was definitely the most impactful for me music really makes a big difference because all of my moments whether or not we were singing or the guitar was just being strummed it really just makes it all amazing and like in the tomb we probably we were doing like our own research and we were like is this the tomb is this not the tomb and then we all kind of came to this conclusion of like we're so busy like everyone's so busy trying to be like where is the empty tomb is this it is this it and we all kind of have to realize it's not where it's why is the tomb empty and that's what's important like there was like seven of us who walked in because you can only go in seven at a time and I put my head on Christy's shoulder and Christy's mom Pam came over and put her head on my shoulder and we all just sat there and I remember in that moment I was just like oh my goodness because we were just staring at like where Jesus could have gotten up and walked out and it was just so crazy to be like I have my faith in this like I know that Jesus got up and walked out and like 
thank goodness he died to save me. And it was just like a lot of those things were going through my head. And it was like, how long were we in there? Like a minute? Yeah, not very long, but an air like was an strumming the guitar and the music was echoing. Yeah. Well, if at all possible, bring two professional worship leaders on your trip with you. I actually was like, Aaron asked me right before we went in, he was like, how how oh, do yeah. you feel? And I was like, <laughs> I don't feel anything really. And then we walked in and Aaron plucked the top string and it just was waterworks. Like I just didn't stop yeah. crying the whole time. I'm actually surprised I stopped crying enough to sing afterwards, but I didn't. <laughs> So, so for our for our listeners and those who are viewing, because people have asked about this, I think it's really important, and it's it's actually fascinating to think about that these two ancient tombs, Holy Sepulchre and Garden Tomb, are empty. These were like expensive places, and almost all scholars and historians agree that it was at one of these two places that Jesus rose, and the fact that both are empty speaks to the and also I William Lane Craig, who's an apologist. And so many people have made fascinating statements, but he said something to the extent of the fact that Jesus came back and that Christianity was born in the very place where he was tortured, sentenced to death and crucified and buried. And they knew that. And yet Christianity was born in that city is powerful evidence for the legitimacy of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. That like it was born there. It wasn't born like a thousand miles away yeah. by some cult. It was born there in the city, people who knew him. And we're talking about a relatively small population. Jerusalem was probably 25 to 30,000 people at the time. And so not like what we saw the masses there today. And so the fact that it was born, and then according to many researchers, a quarter of the city by Acts chapter two becomes Christianized, wow. believes that Jesus is Messiah because the evidence for the resurrection is so compelling and overwhelming. And so what we have with like the Holy Sepulchre, for instance, which was a terrible experience by and large for us. Um, we, had, because we had a little moment. We had yeah, a moment. We we had had a a moment. I said by and large, that was, that was like yeah. a four minute moment because we got ushered into the Holy Sepulchre. And they show you where they thought Golgotha was, which is outside of a window. Golgotha, the place of the scroll, Calvary in Latin, where Christ died. And then you go down some steps and that's where people are kissing stuff and whatever. And there's all these different lines going to different tombs. And so they usher us into one tomb where there wasn't a line. And we're like, okay, like this is maybe where it happened. And then you go out. And so we got ushered. We were standing beside this wall. And Nicole, who's on staff here, she was standing beside me. And she's like, can you play the song? Thank you, Jesus. It's been like running through my head. And so we're just watching all this craziness take place in front of us. And we're over in this corner. And so I start playing it. Riley comes over and Christy and Pam and some others. And so softly, which we didn't know that instruments are forbidden in the Holy Sepulchre, but so softly we're singing, thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. You were buried for three days and then you walked right out again. And as you're looking, you can see the entrances to the tombs and it makes it where you're like, all of a sudden this, in the midst of all this idolatry and chaos, it made it like this holy moment where, and that was right, like I said, right before we got booted out of there. But a lot of the evidence points to that, to the Holy Sepulchre, because Christians by the 40s and 50s, so we're talking within a decade of Christ ascending, were worshiping at that site, believing that this is where he rose. And this is before any of like the large, like this is before Roman Catholicism was born at all. It didn't even exist. It was just, you know, Christianity at that point. So there was no like power grabbing, no greed, none of what we see today in the way of corruption within Christianity. It was just like, this is where Christians were going. It fits all the criteria. And so there's a really, really good chance, probably a 90% chance that it is Holy Sepulchre. Also, archaeologists have dated the caves and graves back to the first century BC. So within 50 years before Christ was born, these caves were being carved out. And so they would have been new. The garden tomb is much more beautiful. It's actually owned by evangelical Christians, like very devout. It was a very sweet experience because the guy 
who led us through was clearly a follower in Christ as Messiah. Um, so he led us to where they think Golgotha might have been. He was, he was also very honest that, hey, this is one of two sites. We don't know for sure where he was raised. And then he leads us down and we got to enter into the actual tomb that Jesus related. Now, one of the biggest problems with it is the archaeologists have dated that tomb to the 6th century BC, so 600 years before Christ. And of course, the New Testament writers say that it was a new tomb that was hewn out of the rock that no one had been laid in. Probably no one cares, but the Greek word for kairos there is different than the Greek word for chronos. Chronos means new in time. Kairos means new in quality or freshness. And so it could be that it was an old tomb that had never been used. And that's what the New Testament writer was. And that would be a kind of a loophole to say, hey, this could be it. But just as, yeah, as you went into the tomb, whether or not he was laid there, the garden tomb is a picture of what it would have looked like, even if it was a holy sepulcher. Like it's a beautiful picture of what it would have looked like in the first century. And emerging from that, I think was, you know, then our whole group did communion together which you're allowed to do there at the garden tomb and meditate on scripture and sing together. It was a really powerful and profound moment. And as I was researching that night about the, the two tombs, and there's a lot more research that can be done about it, but I came across this quote, says this, today we sometimes miss the point and are still looking for what Mary was looking for, where the body was laid. Mary was so consumed with this that she didn't recognize the one for whom she was looking. He was standing in front of her, speaking to her, in her own language. And Riley actually was researching too and found that same thing and sent it to us. And I was like, I just read this like an hour <laughs> ago, but it was like very powerful that like, when you think about the providence of God and how sovereign he is, if he wanted us to know where Jesus was laid, he would, he would make that clear. And he hasn't because the point is not where he was laid. The point is that he's laid there no more. You know, mm -hmm. like that he's risen from that. Um, and so those, those were definitely really profound in their own way experiences. Um, I think for me, like, if I'm honest, just being up in Galilee, and this is, everybody's wired different, but being up in Galilee and being on Mount Arbel, like I talked about on that Sunday morning, knowing that our church was going to gather here seven hours later mm -hmm. and worship the risen Christ and being there and being able to look out where he was and just kind of a spontaneous moment of seeing worship and taking requests from the group and, and remembering this mighty God in mortal flesh. That for me was probably the moment more than any other where it was just, it kind of brought it all home. So yeah, it was an awesome trip. Definitely. And incredible. There were spiritual encounters. Now I think we arrive upon the final question. Yeah. So the final question is, <laughs> would you say that visiting the Holy Land is essential for all Christians if they are able? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know that I would use the word essential because everyone's situations are so different. But mm -hmm. if at all possible, I would definitely recommend going. Yeah, we had so many great moments. Scripture has already come to life. And I, yeah, I definitely felt you know, closer to God the Father when we were in all of those nature reserves and mountains and deserts, and then felt closer to Jesus actually walking where he walked. And mm -hmm. then, you know, definitely felt the Holy Spirit the whole trip, especially anytime you guys were singing or playing music. Yeah, I don't know. The word essential, it's not essential, but it definitely, I believe, if you can, like, totally go. Obviously, I love worship because I <laughs> do it all the time, but it changed the way that, like, I see the songs like when we sang um, Son of Suffering, literally at the garden where Jesus wept. In Gethsemane, yeah. And we were like, there's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. Like just singing these songs now, mm -hmm. like I'm so, I don't know. It's just all you, you see it. And like when you read the scripture, like you were saying, yeah. like Aaron, I'd be like, can you show me, Aaron, where things are? And then he would like sit there and like point things out and scripture literally scripture in 3d like it just comes to life so now when i read it just makes it that much better like scripture was, is already just 
amazing mm-hmm. the way it's written. But it just when you can see like where these people walked, where these people lived, like where Jesus walked, like the Sea of Galilee, like actually seeing it totally didn't look like what I thought it would. Mm-hmm. So like, is it essential? No. But will it make the things better? Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's I think it's a it's a it's a good worded question. And essential can mean various different things because it's essential to the Muslim faith to visit Mecca and it's essential to the Jewish faith to visit the Wailing Wall. And one of the things that I kept reminding our little group of of people who were kind of in close proximity to me was Jesus is the true temple and Jesus is the destination. And so you don't have to go to any of these places. We know that like Jesus is grace. And so he is our mediator between God and man. He is the new covenant fulfillment. He is the blood of sacrifice. He is the cup of redemption. And so like all the stuff that we're seeing and hearing about, he is that he is the Passover lamb. And so that's really renewing because you're like, man, I might, I might never have the money to like go there. And there's nothing essential to your faith other than faith in Christ. Like that's it. But there's things that help us along the way. So would going to church be essential? Well, not to being a Christian, but it's essential to walking strong. Like it's essential to your faith being more robust in Christ. And I would not compare, I mean, because you obviously you have the commands in scripture, like go to church, don't forsake the assembly. And so you need to be doing that. And there's not the command that you have to go to the Holy Land. But at the same time, I would highly recommend it more so than when I went on the trip. Like when I went on the trip, I was like, all right, well, this is cool. Like I get the opportunity to do this, whatever, whatever. Now it's having come back and you're so exhausted. You're over there, right? You're just, you're seeing all this stuff. We packed a lot and our guy did really good at like scheduling a lot for us to see. And I think it was like two nights before we left, Scott and Vanessa Leonard, who are members here at Building 28, awesome couple. They asked me and some of the others, we were sitting downstairs in the hotel lobby and they asked, what would you do different if you brought a group back? And to Christy's point, it would be a meditation on scripture at every site, like reading through scripture, worship at every site. That makes it come alive like when you're seeing it and, and experiencing it. Um, but as we've gotten back here in the last couple of days, um, and I have not run this by my lovely wife yet, because it was hard for her. Shout out to her for watching our kids for 12 days. I've had like this burning within me, like already here in the last 40 hours to take a group back from building 28. Mm-hmm. Now having seen the sites to make it where you're like, we're going to sit out on, this, on the mountainside and we're going to read part of the Sermon on the Mount, or we're going to read about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, or we're going mm-hmm. to, you know, read about the story of Abraham yeah. and how he believed God and explain the covenant, the, the Abrahamic covenant, and then worship Christ in those locations. And so I'm, I don't know, like I'm, I'm looking at 2025, 2026, like taking a group back from building 28 so that we can, because I do feel like if at all possible, I know we have our, our vacations and our destinations we like to go. And true, Israel is not like a true vacation. Like you're seeing a lot of stuff. I would also plan the days to start a little bit later than we started. Oh <laughs> our days start like yeah. 530 in the morning. Um, so and, uh, and so it was so tiring. And so I would probably start them later and, and curate it to our group, obviously, and carve out more margin. That's another thing is like, you know, it was awesome to see as much as we saw, but like some of the sites were not as relevant or as pertinent or as impactful. And so to carve out more margin for people to actually like sit with their Bibles open and to meditate and to enjoy and to relax in the presence of God and to worship him there. And so this whole discussion here was not a plug for you to join my Israel trip in 2025, 2026. But as you hear this and as you see some of the pictures that are scrolling through and, and as you do your own research and as you hear how this trip has moved us and transformed us, um, hopefully... I think there will be an influx of people who will say, let's go, like, yeah. let's, let's go to the Holy Land, you know, in a couple of years here and see and experience. Before I even left, I said, I'm coming back. 
I think it was like halfway through the trip, I was like, I'm coming back because I was just like, I didn't think it would stick with me as much as it has. Like, especially because like now, whenever I'm singing, I sing all the time. But like, really seriously, like, if you can go, I would go. Yeah. And Alan had said that the first time people go, it's very overwhelming. And I would say that's an understatement. So I would definitely <laughs> want to get back. Count me in for yeah. right, awesome. the next trip. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. We got one signed up. So there's limited space. <laughs> Make it um, two. I want to But go. anyway, no. Um, And I know you might be listening to this and be like, well, I'll never get to go or... But I would say, you know, if if you can save save money, I, I get it's a costly trip, but save money. And I really think, I mean, as Bible students, as those who are all of us trying to like rightly divide the word of God, all of us trying to experience the triunity of God and how he moves, the Holy Land is just an experience, quite honestly, unlike any other mm-hmm. that blew my mind in so many powerful ways. And yeah, you see some of the negative attributes, uh, aspects of that in the idolatry and the false religion. But even that magnifies the freedom that we have in Christ. Because mm. these are all, like Riley said, these are all religions based on fear and bondage and duty and obligation. And we have a faith that is based on redemption and love and mercy and compassion and freedom. And so that was mind blowing as well. It'd be like, I don't have to do all this stuff. Jesus did all this stuff. And, you know, and we're seeing the place where he did all this stuff for us. So really cool. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. Hopefully you enjoyed Woo! some of the images that you saw as well. It brought it to life and we'll keep talking about it. You'll hear about it in my sermons and on the podcast because it was a phenomenal experience. All right. Till next time. Thanks for listening to Out of Odds. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen. Out of Oz is produced by Building 28 Church and Podcast Royale. You can find out more about this show and Building 28 by visiting outofozpodcast.com. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can get each one automatically by subscribing in your favorite podcast app.